The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my host, John Lewis, also known as Robot. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So I'm actually going to begin the show with an apology about the technical glitches with last week's show. There were a few, as in multiples, uh, and each and every one of them was, to be honest, my fault. Um, they are fixed now, I'm pleased to say (laughs) with, with no, no small amount of chagrin, uh, but they are fixed. Um, and I endeavor not to have any of that happen this time. How are you, John? I'm sore. (laughs) Okay. That seems reasonable. Yes. I'll, I'm just going to dive right into it. Yeah. This is my, this is my story for the week. Maybe I ran month. an ultra marathon. Hmm? Maybe the month. Maybe for the month. Maybe for my life. We'll see. <laughs> um, I ran an ultra marathon. I flew to Atlanta with a few of my closest running friends. I drove to a state park outside the city and I stumbled around in the woods for eight hours. Okay. It's not cycling, but it is just like cycling in the sense that it was a hard physical outdoor adventure that pushed my boundaries. It was some people's it was kind of like some people's century, some people's double century or a massive rando event or whatever it is that's at the limits of your ability on a bike. Was the it course was well marked? The course was well marked. OK, um, so not like D2R2. <laughs> that's right it was Sorry. marked <laughs> it was marked yeah. um although i'll tell you that i ended up in such a physical stupor that i struggled even with the very clear markings mm. Mm. well i don't want you to to you know jump ahead or, or do too much foreshadowing please yeah. continue well i'll i'll start by saying it didn't go like i'd hoped okay well that well, would be foreshadowing <laughs> Yeah, when you when you think about doing a thing like this, you know, the ideal is that you find out that you are perfectly well trained and you execute the thing comfortably and along the lines of the strategy that you've devised in advance. Uh-huh. And I've rid I've run north of 20 miles a bunch of times and I've dealt with a lot of the adversities that I dealt with on Sunday. But Despite all that, this went poorly. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I did a lot of training. I ran a lot of miles. I tested a lot of fueling and hydration strategies. But on the day, the humidity down there just killed me. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Within 12 or 13 miles of starting, with things going really well. So this was a three-lap race. Okay. And so it was, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the way through the second lap. I hit a wall I ju- where I, I would say I, I describe it as saying I, I sweat it out, basically. 
Oh. Um, and before listeners get too into analyzing my hydration plan, I'll, I'll give you this bit of information. During the race, I consumed four liters of electrolyte fluid. Mm-hmm. I ate oranges and watermelon. I chewed salt tabs. I ate bars and goose. And despite having consumed all of that fluid and calorie, I didn't pee for 12 full hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm not going to bore you with a blow by blow of what happened from from the point of my first crash onward. Needless to say, having an early collapse made the prospect of finishing pretty daunting. And I spent about five and a half hours managing my effort and willing myself forward after that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I deployed all I deployed all of my endurance experience to get to the finish line. Mm -hmm. As I said, things went poorly from a performance standpoint. I was an hour slower than I wanted to be. I wasn't able to finish with my friends. Having said that, I'm really proud of what I was able to make of the day. Mm -hmm. I did have an entirely unique experience in the last hour of the race when I was completely empty, completely beyond my limits. And I became this sort of husk of myself that was still somehow moving. Mm -hmm. In fact, my blood pressure had dropped from the dehydration to the point that when I stopped moving, I began to black out. Wow. Yeah, I got in front of one of my friends and she had stuck with me during the second lap. And I was like, I have to wait for her. And so I stopped and I put my hands on my knees I put my head down and my hands on my knees to rest and like everything went black and then opened up again and then went black again. And I like picked my head up and I started moving again. And then I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't put my head down. So about a half minute later, I stopped and put my hand on a tree, but kept my head up and I started to black out again. And I thought, oh, (laughs) that's really bad. (laughs) Uh, And I was actually afraid for a little while that I wouldn't be able to stop at the finish Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or that the EMTs were going to be called because I'd pass out just from like low blood pressure, not being able to slow my heart rate down. Um, It turned out it turned out fine. And there was there was a lot of very low, very dark times Mm -hmm. uh, and several recoveries. Um, which is really amazing. It is really amazing to be in a very dark place and to rediscover that some reservoir of energy. Yeah. 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 Um, I ended up moving like 17 and a half miles after falling apart. (laughs) You covered more distance after falling apart than you had before falling apart. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, And what what happened at the end is that I became very raw emotionally. Mm -hmm. I wasn't happy and I wasn't sad necessarily. I was just emotional. I started crying uh, near the finish Mm -hmm. and it just felt good to cry. Just felt good. Um, And it was like I'd emptied myself of thoughts and only just had feelings left. Yeah. Yep. Um, So after I crossed the line, I found a stump. And I sat down uh, and I just blubbered for a bit. 
and it was really cathartic and I was relieved not to pass out. Um, but yeah, the catharsis and the openness of the moment was very powerful. And listen, uh, this is not a thing I recommend you pursue. (laughs) 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 The struggle was more than I'd wish on anyone. Um, yeah, it was also oddly a very gratifying experience. Uh, something I'm glad I went through. And even now, three days later, I have this lingering sense of emotional openness that is really unexpected mm-hmm. and that I hope I can hang on to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like a, a doing a thing so hard it changes you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No question. Yeah. Uh, and have I'll, you been that deep before? I have uh multiple times uh but i mean multiples you know i think they'd still number on one hand yeah uh when i did uh what is now unbound used to be dirty kansas in 2019 that's certainly what happened um i started coming apart before the hundred mile mark um and somewhere around, I want to say like mile 93, I completely ran out of water. I'd finished, I'd finished both my bottles. I had refilled those bottles and I'd finished my hydration pack as well. I was dry and I wasn't yet at rest stop number two. Yeah. And so I rode like six miles with no water or, or hydration of any sort. And, um, that's when I started realizing I had really gone too deep early on. Uh, I, I've shared this before, but I had this crazy experience of feeling so good in the opening 15, 20 miles. I started thinking, well, why shouldn't I allow myself to have a better day than I even predicted? Mm. Which... fatal error (laughs) well that and a a variety of hubris that i hadn't previously identified Uh, you know it's hard to say because if you hadn't come apart and you had had that better day than you imagined you would have thought that's just how it is you know just to put it in my own uh terms sometimes you gotta ride the lightning (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh i i got on the back of the lightning for as long as i could yeah um and it turns out that was less than 50 percent of the event um yeah. I, you know these things these experiences they sound like misses but i don't really think so that's not how i feel about them i no. the thing with the thing with Unbound was, you know, I got into rest stop number two and I thought, OK, you know, we're going to we're going to turn off the four wheel drive and we're going to shut down the turbo as if you could really do that. And we're just going to collect ourselves for a little while. We're going to get everything under control, uh, get our heart rate down, cool off some, eat some food, make sure we're fully stocked up on hydration before we leave here. Uh, which was not difficult to do. But when I rolled out, I rolled out in a very different way. And the thing about that day 
that, you know, even as it was the day was just getting longer as the day got longer, uh, because I was kind of going progressively slower. Um, the final 50 miles after the sun went down were uh, surprisingly spiritual. Mm. It was it was an experience that I I didn't expect. Um, and there was a satisfaction with, you know, having been at the precipice of not finishing of no. I mean, rest stop too. they were people being trucked out of there. Uh, they were, you know, right. The question yeah. when when a truck would pull up was how many people can this one carry? Oh, yeah. You know, so there were a lot of people quitting at that point. Um, and I saw younger, stronger riders, some I personally knew, uh, who were calling it a day at that point. So those final 50 miles where I'd been to the precipice and almost fallen apart and not done that, and I'd managed to find a way to uh, continue and to do so in a way that, um, well, it wasn't, I wasn't riding bonked. Uh, I was mm-hmm. probably pretty close. And maybe the last 25 miles I was bonked, maybe. But yeah, I was in a very raw place emotionally. I, I was oddly upbeat in those last 50 miles. Um, I was surprisingly relaxed really is what it came down to it because, you know, I had lights on and I'd get to a section of road where it's dirt, but it's relatively smooth, but there are some little loose spots and I go, well, you know, I'll just slow yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm only here to finish. I'm here to prove that I can do this thing on this kind of day. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I'm, I am happy to have finished but given the experience, I don't, I don't, I don't think finishing for me on the day needed to be the point. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I did. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the point is to engage the adventure. The point is to go and see. Yeah. Just go and see. And if I had known how it was going to go. I probably would have pulled the plug. I wouldn't have got on the plane, to be honest, mm. you know, <laughs> because relative to my training and relative to what I know I'm capable of, mm-hmm. it went badly. It just mm-hmm. didn't look like one of my long runs. Mm-hmm. It looked awful. Um, but it was a different experience. It was mm-hmm. a different experience than the one I expected. And I can't feel disappointed about it in the larger picture, I, mm-hmm. and that's part of that, like not feeling sadness or not feeling happiness or not feeling a lot of specific emotions mm-hmm. because I, I was there, you know, there's just an acceptance that you're there and what happens happens, what you can do, you can do. And to have it all reduced for you like that is pretty, pretty, Remarkable. Yeah. Uh, You know, what you're talking about there, that acceptance of, well, (laughs) this is where things are. And 
and not reacting to that in some emotional way. Uh, you know, either with the, the ego of, well, I'm going to turn things around, you know, I am a man and I will, you're not doing that. You're also not raging (laughs) at it. Um, I mean, that speaks to the work that you and I have both been doing for some years now. Right. Yeah, that's right. There's a, there's a point, there's a, a real place where you understand that at the sharp end of affairs, your emotions aren't going to help you. <laughs> you are, you may be falling apart, but you know, for example, I had a watch with a heart rate monitor so I could see what was happening. <laughs> Just how bad the news was. I could see how bad the news was. I could see that my heart rate, even when I slowed down, wasn't dropping. I could see, you know, uh, my good friend, Megna, uh, my main running partner, she was saying, you know, I'll take that watch from you because you're pushing yourself too hard with it. She thought I was trying to maintain a pace. I said to her, no, what I'm actually trying to do is understand that, like, if I add salt, does that help me modulate my heart rate? I'm what I'm doing is science on the go. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out what combination of fluids, foods, because right now I don't feel good enough to do anything. I don't feel like eating. I don't feel like drinking. I don't feel like going but I know I have to do one, if not all three of those things to get to the finish line. So mm-hmm. what I'm trying to figure out in consultation with my heart rate is which of the things is most helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit like being a cancer patient. Uh, a very, very little bit. I don't want any way to compare yeah, an athletic yeah. endeavor with something potentially fatal like that. But there is that place for many cancer patients during treatment where, you know, they they don't want to eat. Nothing yeah. looks good. They don't right. want to drink anything, but you got to get through. There are particular blends of cannabis products that do help with that, but yeah. we can't really use those mid-athletic endeavor. <laughs> no, no. No, no, you're right. And to, I would say to me, to me, like my analogy would be diffusing a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hear the ticking. <laughs> <laughs> and I know where the ticking leads. And you've got and three wires you can cut. I've got three wires and I just have to stay focused <laughs> and calm. Yeah. Even though I'm afraid. Yeah. Even though I'm afraid. I mean, that gets to it. And that that's, I, you know, I'm afraid. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I could go on and on and I will. But uh, it was a powerful <laughs> experience. Uh, pretty unexpected. Um, very worth it. Although, as I said, I wouldn't wish a repeat or uh, I wouldn't tell someone go out and do that. Yeah, I, I, it's not the sort of thing where I want to encourage somebody to have that experience, but in tackling those really hard things, part, part of the willingness to tackle those things is to accept that there can be those sorts of consequences to deal with. And I do think that that's a valuable piece of that overall experience. Here, here's what I would say. 
I would say don't go looking for physical collapse. (laughs) Do go looking for adventure. Mm -hmm. Some adventures may entail physical collapse, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't seek it for its own sake. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where I would put that. I, I would really say. You know, fear to quote Frank Herbert, uh, the new Dune movies coming out. Fear is the mind killer. He was not wrong. And so what I would say is push your fear aside and find find a goddamn adventure, (laughs) Um, whatever it is. Um, And I hope that it doesn't make you black out in the woods in Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think. Just just to note it, I think the closest I've ever come to what you're talking about was um, in one of the grasshoppers, the super sweet water, which is the longest of the bunch. And the two times I've done that one, both times I was I was a shell of a person. I was I was basically, you know, the candy bar wrapper without the candy bar. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Because you get to mile 91 out of uh, 1 million. Yeah. Well, maybe it's like (laughs) mile 87 out of mile 96, something like that. Yeah. You finish this long pavement descent and it's a pretty screamer of a descent. And then there's a a little rest stop and then you get on single track at (sighs) Lake Sonoma. And this is not, this is not, uh, Eastern Massachusetts through the woods, flattish to rolling-ish right. uh, single track. This is sawtooth up and down. Yeah. Like times where my stomach was on my saddle and I'm laughing as I'm going downhill because of the sheer absurdity of the situation. Right. And with each of those hills, I was, I was so... Uh, I was so past the whatever that yeah. I was walking up each and every hill because there was just not enough left to do anything other than walk up it. Yeah. And it's also one of those situations where there's there's no way to bail out. Yeah. You are a hundred percent committed once you're onto that single track. And yeah, that's how this course was too. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the idea of stopping may be attractive, but guess where you are? <laughs> no, nothing is coming to get you. Yeah. There's no yeah. wheel. No, no one's going to wheelbarrow you out of those woods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing and about the finish. That. I'm sorry. I was going to say the finish is on a hill, too. And I really imagined that I would <laughs> dig down somewhere uh, deep, deep, deep and find it to jog across the line. That didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm, I get you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That last time I did Super Sweet Water on the drive home, I cried and cried and cried. Yeah. Um, and I went looking for the reasons why I was crying. And, you know, I found that there were a few different ones. Um, but uh, a lot of it was just, yeah, going that deep made me emotionally raw. The The emotions were not positive or negative. They were just really present and really intense. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to think uh, the way I feel about the crying, I don't cry enough, right? I've had sadnesses in my life that I've, I've gone through stoically. 
either mm-hmm. because I'm a broken modern man who can no longer <laughs> express his emotions properly, which I say glibly, but I think may be true. And so I think there's a store in there of hurt mm-hmm. and you know, it's stupid that I would have to run myself that hard to open the box and let it out. But I'm glad, I'm glad I did. Yeah. 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 Pretty special stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're back. I'm, I'm glad you're in fewer than a dozen pieces. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All righty. We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial, With the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on Support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What do you have for us this week, Patrick? Well, my pull this week is a little different because it's not a listener question. It's from my own experience. Uh, So as I mentioned on last week's show, I went back to Memphis for a visit. I spent some time with my mom and checked out some stuff at her place that needed some updating. And she's gotten some great work done and she's getting up there in age. Okay, she's she constitutes elderly now. And her front walk previously was just a broken hip waiting to happen. Uh, now, because I can't seem to talk her into moving to California to be nearer me, which I totally get is stupid from an economic standpoint, I figure I'm just going to visit Memphis as often as possible. Uh, there's also mm, someone I've met in Memphis and maybe that is an an additional incentive. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe. Right. Uh, (laughs) knowing that I'm going to be visiting Memphis a half dozen or more times a year, I hope, uh, it now makes sense to just leave a bike in Memphis. So when I flew last week, I packed everything up, um, everything being kind of a a loose, uh, loose sort of noun. Uh, What I didn't pack in there were spare tires. Now, my thinking was that the tires on the bike have more life in them, and I'll bring another set of tires on my next trip. Sure. There's only so much room in the carry-on. There was more room in the carrier. Uh, that's fair so I, I, yeah. I have that, that line of thinking that I just outlined for you has zero possible defense. Yeah, I'm trying to um, give you a bonehead, uh, an out from boneheadedness, but... Yeah, I don't even think Homer Simpson's got you, a good excuse. You dumbed it. All right, you dumbed it. Yeah, we we can see where this is going, right? Yeah, the foreshadowing yeah. is real. 
Yeah. So on Saturday, I rolled out in the rain and made it about five miles before I noticed there was less than 20 PSI in my rear tire. I was on a gravel bike. There wasn't going to be a lot of pressure in there, but the pressure had to be really low by the time I noticed. Yeah. Squishy turns. mm, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I tried fixing it on the road, but there wasn't enough sealant left in the wheel to seal the cut in the sidewall. Mm. And I couldn't get the nut off the valve stem to put in the (laughs) spare tube that was in the seat bag. I'm laughing because I've lived this nightmare. mm -hmm, Go on. mm -hmm. Uh, Well, we know what happens next. You make the call of shame. I made the call of shame. (laughs) Here's, here's the part that is just really sort of inexcusable. I've got a number of perfectly good spares, new tires awaiting review, no less. Yeah. Tires you should be riding. Yeah. Yeah. That I need to get on at some point soon. Uh, But they were all here at home. Why I didn't bring a set of tires, a complete set of tires with me is beyond explanation. Being prepared is not that hard to do when you already have everything you need in your home. I mean, what you're saying is demonstrably true, and yet I have the experience, because of the type of person I am, of it also being demonstrably false. But you go on. Go on. I want to hear more. (laughs) Um, You know, being prepared really isn't that hard to do, but when traveling it does require a bit more thought. You know, you can't just start hucking stuff into the car. And I've been known to do that. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, same. And there's, you know, there's no downside, no embarrassment to just the car hucking. Um, Hucking into the car, not hucking the car. Right. So I put together a little travel checklist that I ordinarily use, but failed to as detailed heretofore. Right. Uh, So normally when I fly, I fly with one spare, two spare tubes, a frame pump, and usually uh, a travel size floor pump, which is about half the height of an ordinary floor pump. I keep some chain lube with me and I put that in double Ziploc baggies. um, And that is a successful way I've, so far been successful with that method of traveling with lube. Um, I also have a travel toolkit that has most of what I need for working on a bike. I don't have like bottom bracket tools and stuff like that, but mm, lots of other stuff. I also just, just cause I travel with lots of spare t-shirts. They're great ways to, uh, they're a great way to help protect the bike, insulate yeah. it. And, um, when, it, when, when you need to clean up the bike, they're great for wiping the chain and or the bike. Yeah. What you've just outlined is a, is a tremendously conscientious and thoughtful approach to bike travel. It looks nothing like what I do. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about hucking stuff in the car. In my mind, the overhead bin of the airplane is open and I'm hucking in like tire levers and people, <laughs> people are staring at me and there's like goose going in there. And did he just throw a chain whip across the cockpit? Yeah, he did. You know, because of flying to industry events, press yeah. launches, 
uh, over the years, the backpack that I prefer to use for my travels um, has too many tools in it. Yeah. And a tape measure. I'm not entirely (laughs) certain why I have too many tools instead of just one. Something happens somewhere along the line. I cannot justify or defend it. Yeah. Uh, Here's the thing that I can say. When my backpack goes through the little x-ray scanner, if they see the mini tools, it's coming out of line and they're going to open it up and look it through. Yeah. Um, And so my only defense at that point is no blades. I swear, no blades, no blades, no blades. Can't hurt anybody with that stuff. No blades. Well, as a traveling runner, and when you're going to an ultra marathon, you pack multiple pairs of shoes. I wore two different <coughs> pairs of shoes and three different pairs of socks during this race. Oh, huh. I changed my hydration pack. Um, I changed shirts several times. Um, I finished with no shirt on. Um, uh, I can tell you that from a TSA point of view, the number of goos and gels and things that you bring is definitely a head scratcher for them. <laughs> yeah, um, it's true. But, you know, I, even even with the that level of involvement and look, I'm a cyclist. I'm a cyclist. Right. Mm-hmm. I, w- I don't want our listeners to begin to think that I've left the cult. I just have <laughs> membership in multiple cults. But my but my original <laughs> cult membership is with cycling. One of the very attractive things about running is that you just tie your shoes up and you leave your house. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times I drive to a trailhead to be you know perfectly candid. Uh, but still, I just have the shoes. It's it's a very simple sport. Yeah, um, and that is really attractive. And I tend to ride bikes that way as well. Um, I tend to just leave my house. I tend mm-hmm. to kind of like whatever that looks like you hucking things in the car. That's me hucking things in my Jersey pocket. But, you know, like before we left on this trip, uh, my friend Caitlin, who ran with us, was talking about her list, her packing list. And I mm-hmm. said, you have a packing list. I prefer to walk slowly around my house, looking at all the objects and then just picking things up and dragging them to my bag <laughs> as as I think they might be useful. Well, that is how I'm wired. Yeah, that that is my natural inclination. And due to certain uh, certain situations that prevented greater success. Yeah, you learned I, lessons. Yeah. 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 So now I try to act like somebody who likes making lists. Well, Caitlin actually introduced me to this idea of compass people and map people. Have we talked about this before? No. So uh, this is another one of those cute dichotomies that, you know, is really more gray than it is black and white. But I'll, I'll lay it out for you that there are compass people and map people and they both reach the destination. The map person follows to the letter, the very specific instructions that reach the destination. Mm-hmm. The compass person never looks at those instructions and they just sort of find their way to the destination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am a compass. Oh, yeah. Ka- me Caitlin too. is a map. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like you, I've had some 
shocking. I've made some shocking errors of oversight and planning. And I do, despite sort of joking about all this, I do actually make an effort. I did end up eventually making a packing list. Um, so I do try to resist my compass-like tendencies. But I understand why you didn't have tires. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, here's the other thing, uh, embarrassing as it is. So faced with that situation, I went to a bike shop afterward. I bought some sealant. Uh, and then I went to the Bass Pro Shop in Memphis, the big super center, which mm -hmm. is now in the Pyramid, which was supposed to be a concert and sporting venue. But it was, uh, let's go with wildly unsuccessful. Mm. Um, and so the city sold this gleaming pyramid <laughs> on the river uh -huh. to, let me say it again, Bass Pro Shops. <laughs> it's the Bass Pyramid. I mean, they, <sighs> there were <laughs> two different locations where I saw f live fish swimming. Two locations in that yeah, place. Yeah beautiful yeah uh but i figured you know this place sells everything a sportsman may want uh sportsman being somebody who has fishing poles and guns and that sort of thing yes sports person i, I think we call yeah them. and yeah. since i was leaving a bike in memphis it's like oh i can go buy co2 cartridges you know i don't right. have to fly with them i'll just right. leave them in memphis right so i went and bought those i bought the sealant like i said i put uh, almost three ounces of sealant in the tire, um, got it seated just fine, was able to use a 12 gram CO2 and reseat the tire. Huh. I, I was about to kiss my knuckles. I thought I was so cool. Uh, <laughs> and then the cut in the sidewall, uh, kept splurting sealant a little bit like a child that you have overfilled with food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, plug. Yeah. Well, that was something else I didn't pack. <laughs> While yeah. you were at the Bass Pro Shop, did you buy any high-vis merchandise? Anything. No. Yeah. No. But my tire lever is a high-vis orange, so maybe that uh, counts for something. Yeah. I didn't buy it there, though. I want to jump back a second. I did a Southern accent a second ago. And if we have Southern listeners out there who are thinking that guy's making fun of me, I grew up in Mobile, Alabama. I earned that accent. So yeah. just relax, sit back down. You're okay. We're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a, as a nearly born and bred Memphian, certainly bred, if not born, uh, I, I, I endorse your use of, yes. Uh, so, yeah, um, let's just say my next visit to Memphis is likely to involve a bit more bike work and maybe more riding. Yeah. A parts dump. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's there's a European company. There's Swiss German. I forget. Um, Milkit. Uh, they have a little. Um, a little aluminum chamber that you can pressurize 
um, and use it for seating tubeless tires. If you've got a pump that doesn't have a chamber like that and it's got a special nozzle on it. So it's, you know, much greater volume than you would get even say with a 25 gram uh, CO2 cartridges Interesting. Uh, cartridge um, and you charge it, you know, with a normal floor pump or something. So I've got one of those. I have used it before. I am now going to take that to Memphis because I'm going to be seating tires in the yeah. future. Put that and on I don't want to take my Joe Blow with me. So, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, I think it would be a good time to move on to baseline picks. Let's do it. Show our, our competence in something. <laughs> so this week, um, in in recognition of the emotional place I'm in, I want to shout out all the family and friends who make my athletic life possible. My cycling, my adventures, all of it. I don't I don't live like everyone else does. Um, I've been fortunate to be able to pursue a lifestyle that is slightly unconventional. And none of that happens without the love and support of a whole lot of people. I'm calling this out, not just because I just did this big thing and it wouldn't have been possible otherwise, but because even if you're what you think of as a regular cyclist, in quotes, there are people who are enabling you, people who are helping you carve out time to ride, people who are showing you the way or accompanying you on your various adventures. I absolutely wouldn't have finished this last big effort without my running friends, specifically Caitlin and Megna, who got me through all the training with smiles on their faces, but also the friends who hosted us in Atlanta without my wife, who helped me feel safe and cared for on the days in training when I pushed too hard and felt scared and small uh, without my kids, who I'm trying to set an example example for without you. Patrick and Stevel, who have indulged and encouraged me even when I've not been on the bike. <laughs> um, there's no there's so much talk right now about the divisions between us. And I talked about this a lot with my friends in Atlanta. And there are raging fights now about individual freedom. And look, running and riding are narrow lenses to view those things through. But I have mm. this experience of massive individual freedom of mind and body and spirit that actually owes entirely to the interconnectedness with and love and care of a lot of other people. So today I'm picking all of those people. If you don't have them in your life, get them immediately. If you do have them in your life, take the time to appreciate them. That's my pick for the week. I like it. I'm going to suggest that most likely, unless you're just supremely isolated, you have those people in your you life. Do. You do. Yeah. Um, and we could and, all use more of them, no matter how many we have. And we could also do more expressing of our gratitude, no matter how good we are at it. Yeah. I met these yeah. guys uh, during the race uh, Sunday, these guys from Dothan, Alabama, mm -hmm. and they started calling us boston and we were telling your mother jokes uh i saw your mother at the bar the other night <laughs> didn't look good billy i'm telling you and uh we had a good time with them and we connected with them online after the race uh really nice guys 
And it's that sort of thing, you know, the fellow travelers, the the people yeah. who are out there chasing the same crazy stuff that uh, we chase. Awesome. Yeah. My pick is a little surprising this week. Uh, they are two words that I never thought I'd say together in the course of a pick. United Airlines. <laughs> that's that, that's I can't even believe that I'm saying something <laughs> nice about them. This would be the company. It almost sounds like I'm going to unpick them in a second. But this is the company that chose to bankrupt their employees pensions and tell the government, whoops, seems we can't afford it. People like my father's wife, who spent her entire career working for United, get one third of the pension they were promised. OK, uh, anyway. United is actually getting my pick <laughs> despite that because they just announced that they have discontinued all charges for flying with a bicycle. <laughs> they were charging. They were the most expensive of the bunch. They were charging $200 one way. Yeah. So we aren't talking small change. Uh, it was, you know, it was like a bicycle tax. It's like, oh, you want to ride your bicycle in other places? We're going to profit off that, sir. Right. This is a significant charge to drop, but I figure that they were doing it because they were simply following suit uh, because they were feeling a squeeze because Delta and America have stopped charging. So, so you're, so you're, are you uh, a priori picking also Delta and American? (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm about to recognize that really I should be giving the biggest credit of all to either Delta or American, whoever started that. Yeah. I don't recall who it was. Right. Um, It used to be that Southwest didn't charge, uh, but Delta American and United did (laughs) with the biggest three airlines discontinuing charges for traveling with a bicycle that may cause other carriers like Southwest to stop. Uh, Southwest is only $75, but that's still a fair chunk of change. Right. Uh, United is significant in reversing this uh, and maybe do deserve the biggest mention of all because they have typically led the way in concocting new charges to fleece flyers of their hard earned dollars by dropping such. hmm? Are you are you concerned on any level that they're they're suckering you in? Come into my parlor, said the spider to the cyclist. Um, I mean, yeah, you got to figure that they're going to try to get it from you some somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, when I'm, when I'm researching travel, because yeah. I am a, I am a natural born cheapskate, uh, <laughs> I, I look at pretty much all the charges. Yeah. 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 I, I don't get surprised anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but. Yeah, by dropping such charges, it really changes the calculus of flying with a bike. I mean, if you can fly with a bike for free, why wouldn't you bring a bike on all trips? Of course, I come at this from a different stance, which is that I'm always trying to fly with a bike. (laughs) So I'm adding $75 or more to all ticket prices as I'm pricing fares. Yeah. With this change now, it looks like Travelocity will be my new method of pricing airfares and not just automatically looking to see if Southwest flies there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's I, not a small thing. No. And, and it really opens really up. Isn't. 
it opens up a future pace line pick for you to talk about the various uh, or the best bag or box or uh, otherwise for traveling with a bike. Yeah. I'd like yeah. to hear about that because I don't travel with a bike very much. Not not by I by air I haven't really done it at all. Most of mm-hmm. my I've either rented where I've gone because it's cost prohibitive or inconvenient with wife and kids. Uh, but otherwise I've driven everywhere, um, Mm. to ride. So I'm curious, I'd be, I'd like to hear more about that. I think there are carriers out there on the market now that I haven't used, but at one point in time I had used every single carrier that was on the market and had as a result, some pretty firm opinions about that. So yes, uh, dear listener, we will return to that soon. (laughs) Put that on one of your lists. Yeah, uh, we should do it this winter when everybody is thinking about their purchases of new gear and that sort of thing. Sure. All righty. That's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Uh, what are you doing other than recovering this weekend? Um, I'm going to it's really just ice cream eating this weekend. Um, <laughs> I'm and I actually um, have to start physical therapy uh, very shortly for a chronic uh Achilles tendonitis that this this race was sort of putting an end to my running for the year um I'm back on my regular uh group rides uh with all of my cycling friends now um so maybe I'm going to get a ride in this weekend if my legs uh come around a little bit and I'm really excited for some fall gravel and mountain biking what about you uh my rides will be short, but hopefully numerous this week and this weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got my boys for like the foreseeable future because of my traveling. Yeah. Uh, I think I have them for both of the next two weekends. Yeah. So uh, I won't be getting out for any any big long excursions unless I do them during the work day. Yeah. Uh, but that's fine. That's fine. Uh, we're going to go do some fun stuff. I haven't quite decided what. Alrighty, before we go, I want to let you know about a new podcast that John is producing along with Steve Knievel of All Hail the Black Market. It's called Revolting, um, and I truly think that it is not um, (laughs) accurately advertised. (laughs) But it's also true that it's not a traditional cycling podcast uh, in any sense that you might currently be familiar with. Uh, It's a really good listen. It truly is. I'm pleased to say that we have some other new stuff coming up as well. I'm still not ready to make the announcement. (laughs) (laughs) Keep those questions coming. You send us great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments or do like some other people have done and reach out to me through the Facebooks. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.